welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Well, it is a glorious day. Wonderful breakfast, great music. Um, The gospel that Christ has died for our sins, that He's rose from the dead. Uh, He's the Holy One of God. He's His precious Son. And His resurrection proves that God's righteous wrath, God's justice, has been satisfied at the cross and is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 20 as the first fruits of those who have died. For since by a man, speaking of Adam, came death, By a man named Jesus, who did not sin, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Christ's resurrection served as a promise. It secures us a promise. Christ has been raised victoriously over sin. He is now seated at the right hand of God from where he will return again. One day he will return. Uh, This is referred to in the scripture as the parousia, his second coming, a magnificent day. Uh, We read about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where that assures us that, quote, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Christ has been raised. We too will be raised. Most of us here recognize that uh, resurrection Day, known in our, as, in our culture, it's known as Easter. But Resurrection Sunday, the day that Christ arose, or we celebrate that He arose, is not about bunnies and you know, candy-coated Cadbury eggs, though I do love those things. Those are good, that's good candy. That is good candy. These secular traditions of Easter, they're, they're rather inventions of the enemy of God, Satan, meant to distract our minds from from what is important, what is essential, and what occurred that first Sunday morning following that Passover. When the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, the the sinless Christ, was punished and crucified by His divine Father for the sins of all who will believe in Him. On the third day, Christ arose. With divine authority, He declared victory over sin. That's what brings us joy, that our sin has been nailed to a cross. And our scripture reading it uh, from Hebrews chapter 10 stated that having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward, that means now during this period, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. To be sanctified means to be made holy, set apart to 
God. Uh, This is describing how we who by faith believe in Jesus and have confessed Him as our Lord and Savior publicly, uh, He has died for our sins. And as certain as Christ has been raised from the dead and was seen by His apostles and hundreds of others as well, they served as eyewitnesses. Jesus is going to come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Scripture also says in Hebrews 9 verse 27, It is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. Without reference to sin to those who eagerly await Him. You know, the story of the Easter Bunny just falls a little bit short, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, the significance of this holiday, or holy day, traditionally referred to as Easter, is a day that is holy. That means it is set apart. We set apart this day for a proclamation uh, from Scripture to all true Christians that just as Christ has been raised from the dead, we too will be raised when Christ returns in glory at His coming. And I've, been, I've become so fascinated with uh, the return of Christ, the coming of Christ, since we studied the Gospel of Luke, especially there when we are in chapter 17, where Christ himself, in his own words, is describing uh, his return again. Uh, I'm considering that we might study, when we're done with Ecclesiastes, First and Second Thessalonians uh, back-to-back. These two books, they fit together. The last two chapters of 1 Thessalonians and the first two chapters of 2 Thessalonians are devoted to Christ's return, this parousia. And they're combined then with the revealing of the man of lawlessness. So I'm praying about that that perhaps might be our next series. I think I would just title that series of those two books together, The Coming of Christ. What a magnificent day that will be. And as we repeatedly heard when we studied through the Gospel of Luke, Christ is coming back, and we must be ready for that day. We have to be ready for that day. And a major part of being dressed in readiness for the return of Christ, uh, the, the Holy Son whom God has sent, is understanding our sinfulness, so understanding that we, we are sinful, that separates us from God, Also understanding reconciliation to God through the shed blood of Christ at Calvary. Also understanding something that isn't spoken about today with conviction. You don't hear it much today with conviction. The holiness of God. The holiness of God. God is holy. He's holy. And magnifying God's holiness is where I'd like to concentrate the focus of this message today, the focus of our time leading up to our sharing of the Lord's Supper. You might have noticed in the bulletin, if you look, that I have titled this message, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God is holy. And the opening two verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, where we have been the last several weeks in Ecclesiastes, introduces today's topic as well. So I'm going to read just the first two verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, where Solomon warns of God's holiness, his set-apartness, and, and, and our care when approaching 
God. And, and we'll return there again next week uh, to, those mes- uh, to those verses again. We'll work through verse 7, which warns against foolish words being offered to God. I think I'm going to title next Sunday's message, uh, The Sacrifice of Fools. If you read through uh, verse 7 this week, I think you'll get, a, get an idea why. I think I'll title that uh, between ne- uh, now and next Sunday. Read through verse 7. But here are the first two verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, which pertain to God's holiness. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God, and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven... And you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Wow. God is in heaven. We are on earth. Strike a little bit of fear in you. Uh, they should. They should. In fact, if you read through to verse 7, uh, this, this section ends, Fear God. Fear God. He's holy. He's holy. For our modern culture, it, it's not... It's not a very fashionable approach to God to fear Him. It's not in vogue to have any fear of God today. Uh, we live in a wicked and adulterous generation who has been told repeatedly and incorrectly you know, that Jesus is just kind of our buddy. You need to buddy up with Jesus, you know. And God, He's, you know, he's always loving. He's always accepting no matter what. He loves you as you are. There's just no conditions. Just this, this unconditional nature of everybody being forgiven without any reference to sin. Friends, in the Bible and in Old Testament Judaism and in true New Testament Christianity, what we refer to as Orthodox Christianity, right belief, right belief Christianity, that couldn't be any further from the truth. God doesn't accept us as we are. We have to know that. He does not accept us as we are because He is holy, holy, holy. By comparison, we are sinful, sinful, sinful. We are inherently sinful creatures. By nature, Ephesians 2 verse 3 states that we are all born into the world uh, by nature, children of wrath. We gravitate towards sin. Our flesh desires sin. We long for it in the flesh. We sin incessantly, and God, God does not immediately accept us in our sinful state because He is by nature divine, and He's holy. There has to be a reconciliation between us and God. The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk Wrote, wrote this exalting God. He says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Habakkuk 1 verse 13. You know, holiness, it's a word that is just insufficiently understood today. The Hebrew term means sacred. It implies that God is separate from us, set apart from sin, separate from everything which is common. In Exodus chapter 15, we find Israel singing a song of praise to God. This is immediately after uh, they had been spared uh, through the parting of the Red Sea. 
when God had spared them by destroying the enemies, the Egyptian armies. And in verse 11, they sang this song saying, Who's like you? Majestic in holiness. Majestic in holiness. When Moses approached the Lord, his, his name Yahweh, I am who I am. When Moses approached him on Mount Sinai, that holy mountain, Yahweh in Exodus 3 verse 5 said to him this, Do not come near, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And the word of God says, Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The holiness of God. Striking fear into Moses. God is holy. He should be feared with, a, with, with an awe, a wondrous awe, a reverence for who He is, amazement for what He has done. And unlike like us, he, he just doesn't automatically condone sin. He doesn't endure it readily as we do. And after Adam and Eve first sinned by eating that forbidden fruit, when they heard God uh, call out to them, they, they hid in the garden. They're in the garden. They hid from him because Adam states in Genesis 3 verse 10, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Hid from the holiness of God. And ever since that very first sin, God by his grace, by his loving mercy, he's made for man and for woman a covering for sin. A covering for sin. God's grace was displayed uh, first through the animals that died to provide skins to cover uh, the Adam and Eve, their nakedness. And God adequately warned Adam that if they sinned by eating from the forbidden fruit of the tree at the middle of the, gar- of the garden, a tree of knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. He told them ahead of time, you eat of that fruit, you will die. Scripture says in Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, right? What we earn through our sin is death. As a picture of God's grace, the animals died, and they were used to cover them when Adam and Eve sinned. They were covered. Their sin was covered. And of course, later Adam and Eve died from that time forward. From that, from that first time forward, God has required man to offer a blood sacrifice for sins. That's what is required. It's not the only type of sacrifice and offering that God receives. Not, not exclusively blood sacrifice. God accepts other types of sacrifice. But for sin, there, there has to be a blood sacrifice. For the wages of sin is death. The offering of a blood sacrifice is seen as a disparity between Cain and Abel, where Cain slew Abel, murdered his brother. We also see it offered by Job, one of the oldest, if not the oldest book in the Bible. A sacrifice. We see it with Abraham, who prepared to offer his own son Isaac. He was prepared to do that at the command of God as a sacrifice. That is a picture of the gospel, by the way. Offering of a son, yet God stopped Abraham and instead provided him a ram for sacrifice. The New Testament, uh, excuse me, the Old Testament, uh, Abraham called that place a name Yahweh Jireh. Sometimes you hear it said Jehovah Jireh, which means 
the Lord will provide a sacrifice. Abraham believed the Lord would provide a sacrifice. Abraham believed, we see in the New Testament, that God would raise his son from the dead. Picture of the gospel. A blood sacrifice for sin is also what God taught Israel through the giving of the law of atonement. The law of atonement in Leviticus chapter 16. Atonement, or to atone for something, means to cover to appease, to, to satisfy, satisfy, and to forgive. In the context of a blood sacrifice uh, that's given as a burnt offering, atonement pertains to the forgiveness of sins. A blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. The New Testament term that we use for this is propitiation. Ever heard that? Propitiation means that, that God is satisfied. God is satisfied. His justice is satisfied over sin. And for us to understand uh, atonement as a covering for sins, I have a reference here to the law of atonement God gave Israel in Leviticus chapter 16. Important, uh, important chapter there if you ever want to look back and read the whole thing. I, I have a, an abridged quote for you from it because the prescription in Levit- Leviticus chapter 16 is so long uh, on the law of atonement. But there it says in summary... That the high priest shall once every year in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month, that was the day of atonement, he shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Also in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his, seven, with his finger seven times. The mercy seat was on the Ark of the Covenant. He would sprinkle this blood in the holy place. And it says, He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. That's the reason they needed the blood. It's the reason they needed the atonement, the covering for sins. To make atonement for Israel, the high priest was to annually, every year, enter the holy place. That that is the innermost room of the temple, where the Ark of the Covenant would sit. It It was positioned signifying the presence of God, the innermost court, or the innermost room, excuse me. And the high priest would enter through a veil, through a thick and heavy veil, if you, if you remember on, on the day of Christ's crucifixion, the veil was torn from top to bottom. That's the veil that separated uh, Israel from uh, the, the dwelling place, the internal dwelling place of the temple. But the high priest would enter through behind the veil into the presence of God. It says, but not without shed blood. Couldn't enter without shed blood, or else he would die. Hebrews 9 verse 7 assures you cannot enter God's presence without shed blood. Without an atonement, a covering for sins. Impossible to enter God's presence without an atonement. By the way, I just made this connection this week, and uh, it's intriguing to me. Intriguing to me. Do you remember Nadab and Abihu? 
Those were the two sons of the high priest, Aaron. They offered what was called strange fire before the Lord. Remember that? They came forward with their incense and their, and their pans and they were burning incense and it was called strange fire in Scripture. And, and in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1, it says that Nadab and Abihu, they took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Well, that's pretty startling. That'll ruin your day. And then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, set apart. And before all of the people, I will be honored. So it says, Aaron therefore kept silent. Not a word. Not a word. You're probably aware there, there's a lot of speculation about that strange fire. That's been tossed back and forth again and again. Uh, what was it that they concocted? And, and what is it about the incense? What is it about the, the combination of the strange fire that prompted fire to come out from the Lord in order to consume them? They, cons- they were consumed as they approached the presence of a holy God. You know, theologians have been debating this since that very day. I'm sure a couple guys turned around and like, what was that? They're still debating it today. I think I may have an answer. You might disagree with this. That will be fine. But I think I have an answer. I agree that one problem was that that incense and the way it was burned and the way it was offered was not commanded by the Lord. It was offense. He never asked for that. That's not a good thing. God said, I never asked for you to do that. But nowhere in Scripture does it precisely reveal what prompted them to be consumed. Or does it? I think Scripture does. I think Scripture does. Nadab and Abihu, they're mentioned later. They're mentioned again. Where are they mentioned? Leviticus chapter 16. The law of atonement. At the very beginning of God's giving of the law of atonement, the the opening section of the giving of the law of atonement, there Scripture says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. They're approaching God. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, again signifying the presence of God, or he will die. For I, God says, will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Then the law of atonement then goes on to detail uh, that in order to enter the presence of the Lord uh, behind the veil, you may not enter unless you are atoned for, uh, unless you are covered by a blood sacrifice, or you will surely die. I don't think it's an accident that Nadab and Abihu are referenced 
at the very beginning of the giving of the law of atonement. And if my impression is right, the precise reason that Nadab and Abihu, according to Leviticus 16 verse 1, the the precise reason they died is because they attempted to approach the Lord without blood. Without being covered or atoned for by a blood sacrifice. Now, scripture says the Lord your God is a consuming fire. They didn't have any fire insurance. I don't know if any of you have heard that explanation before. I haven't found it elsewhere. Um, I think it squares with the prescription for the law of atonement in Leviticus uh, and in Hebrews 9, verse 7, which states that even the high priest cannot enter the presence of God, quote, without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people. Can't enter the presence of God without God, uh, without blood, or you will surely die. And then verse 11 says this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, But through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. He entered by his own blood. Once for all, and eternal redemption indicates that Christ's blood is not a covering or an atonement that needs to be repeated again and again every year as the Old Testament sacrifices needed to be. But we enter the presence of a holy God, covered in the blood of Christ, having obtained an eternal redemption, a permanent redemption. For Hebrews 9 verse 22 reminds us, according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. In Leviticus 17 verse 11 For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of life that makes atonement. All has to do with the blood. Life, blood atonement, forgiveness of sins, eternal redemption are found only in the blood of Christ. There's power in the blood. Hebrews is another New Testament book I would love to teach through soon. Just astonishing the the, the doctrine in there uh, of Christ and His atonement. It's a letter written to Hebrews, to ethnic Jews. They They were tempted to forsake their new Christian faith because they were suffering persecution. That's an overview uh, of the context of Hebrews, uh, the, the book of Hebrews, is they were Hebrews who had been suffering for Christ, and they were thinking to themselves, you know, this, this is tough. This is tough. They thought this. They go, maybe we should go back to the old way. At, at least at that time period, they weren't suffering as much back when they were at the temple sacrifices. They were tempted to defect back to Old Testament Judaism because it didn't bring the same suffering 
as standing for Christ. And when the letter to the Hebrews was written, that was just before 70 A.D., when Hebrews was written, within five years before 70 A.D., the temple in Jerusalem was still standing when Hebrews was written. The sacrifices were still being perpetually offered year after year when the book was written. They were literally thinking, let's go back. Let's go back. So these Hebrews were thinking, rather than suffering the reproaches of Christ, why not just go back to the old sacrificial system? That establishes the context of our earlier scripture reading from Hebrews chapter 10, which provides a warning to those wanting to apostatize and go back to the old sacrifices. In verse 1, we are told, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. There's no permanent atonement, no eternal redemption in animal sacrifices. This is the reason that Israel had to offer them again and again and again, year after year after year. It was only temporary until Christ would come. By contrast, by contrast, Hebrews 10 verse 8 quotes the Old Testament, which says, Sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he, referring to Christ, said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this, which we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, once for all, one and done. Remember, the temple in Jerusalem was still standing when these words were written to the Hebrews. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time and time the same as sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. What glory. What glory. We can therefore now, as Christians who trust in Jesus Christ, who have believed in Him, we can enter the holy presence of God through the, through the covering, the atonement for our sins, the atonement of the blood of Christ. And therefore, Hebrew 10, Hebrews 10 verse 19 concludes, Brethren, since we have confidence to enter that holy place by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is His flesh, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. You can draw near. You can now come near to God being covered in the blood of Christ. The law in Deuteronomy 4 verse 24 warns us, The Lord your God is a consuming fire. Sinful man cannot approach a holy God, holy and mighty God, nor can we enter His presence in heaven, His dwelling place, without the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. Nadab and Abihu are a reminder to all of us, you can't stir up your own concoction and think that you can approach God. You're going to be consumed with a fury of fire and judgment. Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. If you ever hoped to get near to God, if you want to enter the presence of God in heaven, you by faith must believe your sins have been covered by the blood of Christ. For Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. By the way, about five years after Hebrews was written, the letter to the Hebrews was written, uh, in 70 AD, a Roman uh, general who eventually became emperor, uh, a general named Titus surrounded the city of Jerusalem and besieged it. Um, decimated the city, tore down the temple brick by brick or block by block in fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy that not one stone will be left upon another. Under the Old Testament sacrificial system, even if the Hebrews wanted to go back to that, is there any blood atonement remaining today? No. There is no temple standing today. There is no brazen altar on which sacrifices are being offered. There is no Ark of the Covenant nor mercy seat for the blood to be sprinkled upon. And even if there were, God would not accept it. You'd be consumed by fire for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. I want to invite the men to come forward to distribute and serve the Lord's Supper. Christians are people who believe God is holy, that He has provided atonement for sins and eternal redemption through a new and better way, the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We practice open communion at Port St. Lucie Bible Church. You know your heart. You know your heart. If you have believed and trusted that Jesus died for your sins, that He rose on a third day, that He ascended into heaven, where He is seated at the right hand of God on high, if you believe that He is going to come again to judge the living and the dead, we invite you to share in remembrance the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ.